Good morning. My name is Adam. If we haven't met yet, I'm part of the team here and it's great to have you with us this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 7. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Last week we looked at Jesus' teaching on worry in Matthew chapter 6. And what we saw was that Jesus' solution to worry is not a trouble-free life, but rather a real relationship with the real God. And this is why I encouraged you to turn moments of worry into moments of prayer. But I recognise that for many of us, prayer is something that we find difficult or daunting or even confusing. And this is why I'd like to turn our attention this week to Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 7. Hopefully you've found it in your Bibles. If you haven't, you can follow along on the screen. We'll be reading verses 7 through 11. This is what we read. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Now last week I started the sermon by quoting a a couple of song lyrics. And because I love music so much, I'd like to do that again. Maybe you've listened to this album. It's called The Joshua Tree by a tiny Irish band called U2. Now the second song on the album is called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And the lyrics say this. I have climbed the highest mountains, I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Or maybe you've heard of this guy, Bruce Springsteen, or as he's also known, The Boss. Now in 1980, he released a song called Hungry Heart. It's off his album, The River. The lyrics say, Got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a ride and I never went back. Like a river that don't know where it's flowing, I took a wrong turn and I just kept going. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. I met her in a Kingstown bar. We fell in love. I knew it had to end. We took what we had and we ripped it apart. Now here I am down in Kingston again. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Now in these two songs, both Bono and the boss are touching on an important truth. And that is, we are all searching for something. We are all seeking people. We search for love, for pleasure, for power, for acceptance, for significance, for fulfilment. We are hungry for all of these things. 
But like Bono and the boss both point out for so many of us and for so many people in our world, we still haven't found what we're looking for. We still have hungry hearts. In fact, I recently read an interview that Brad Pitt did in, with Rolling Stone magazine in 1999. He was talking about fame and success and the illusion that they will bring us happiness and contentment. Brad Pitt's quoted as saying, Man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, Why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say toss all this. We've got to find something else. Because all I know is that at this point in time we are heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being, and I don't want that. He goes on, he says, I don't have all the answers. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. Listen to this. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything, I know, but I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. It doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. Now, no one's going to want to hear that. I understand. I'm sorry. I'm the guy who's got to say it, but I'm telling you. Brad Pitt is exactly where most people think they need to be. He's got wealth, power, fame, success, good looks, so I'm told. But he looks us in the eye and he says, I'm telling you, it's not it. Even worse, he says, I don't have all the answers. And this is what makes Jesus Christ's words in this passage so stunning. Because Jesus Christ, He looks us in the eye and he says to us, I do. I have the answers. And if you'll come to me, you'll find exactly what you're looking for. Now, I don't know where you find yourself today. I'm guessing you didn't get in the car and drive down to church because you want less of God in your life. Maybe you want to find God. Maybe you just want more of God in your life. Wherever you are at this point in time in your life, this passage has good news for every single one of us. Because the good news is that if we will listen to Jesus, we can find exactly what we're looking for. We can have our hungry hearts satisfied. We can find God and know God in a real way. In this passage, Jesus Christ invites us to pray, to ask, to seek, to knock. He says that this is the doorway to truly knowing God. He says this is the doorway to finding what we're looking for. And so we're going to explore what Jesus teaches us about prayer in this passage. And I'd like to look at it just under four simple headings. The promise, the parable, the problem, and then the point. Promise, parable, problem, and point. Let's begin with the promise. And we see Jesus' promise to us in verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now this is an incredible promise. And Jesus gives us this promise because he wants us to know something. He wants us to know how eager God is to answer 
our prayers. He wants us to know that God loves to answer our prayers. Now I wonder if you really believe this. Or I wonder if you have a bit of a hard time believing this to be true. Martin Luther many years ago commented on this passage and he said, Jesus knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we do not dare to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts, to remove our doubts and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. Jesus Christ wants us to pray. And he describes prayer in this verse as asking, seeking and knocking. Now let me just impress you with my knowledge of Greek for a moment, which the New Testament was written in. Let me just show you that the six years of study were worth it. These three verbs are what we call present imperatives, which implies continuous action. In other words, Jesus Christ is literally saying here, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Jesus wants us to pray and he wants us to pray persistently, to not give up. And this tells us something really important. This tells us that God doesn't get tired of us. God's never up in heaven thinking, oh man, this guy again. He's not like you and me. God never thinks, seriously, I helped her with this two weeks ago and here she is again. God doesn't think that. Knock and keep on knocking, Jesus says. God loves to answer the prayers of his people. In fact, that's what we read in verse 8 in this promise. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God is eager. God is willing to answer our prayers. And this is really important for us to know. Because if you don't really believe deep down in your heart that God hears and answers your prayers, then why pray? John Onwuchekwa is an author who's written a great little book on prayer. I commend it to you. It's just called Prayer, so that's easy to remember. Not like his last name. But he writes and he says, This is one of the great incentives to pray. You have someone who truly, fully listens. No amount of infirmity or blemish could make him avoid us. Our Father has his ear inclined to us and he's eager to hear from us even now. I don't know how long it's been since you prayed to him. But here's something I'm sure of. He's listening. And he's a better listener than we could ever imagine. If anyone is holding back in your relationship with God, it's not God, he's eager and willing to hear and to answer your prayers. This is the promise that Jesus makes to us in verses 7 to 8. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. To illustrate this promise, he then tells us a parable in verses 9 to 10. This is what he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Now, when my two-year-old son, Knox, is hungry, he will often come running up to me and say, toast. He loves toast. Now, 
Sometimes I'll give him toast, but not always. I might give him some fruit or rice crackers or whatever, whatever else. You know, I'm a good dad. But I can tell you what I've never done. I've never given him a stone. You hungry? Suck on this. I've never gone outside and tried to find a spider or a snake. And then here, have fun with this. And of course, no father in their right mind would do that. Jesus is being deliberately absurd here to illustrate his point, which he gives us in verse 11. This is his point. If you then, though you are evil... Now hit the pause button. Tell us what you really think, Jesus. (laughs) At least we don't have to wonder what Jesus is thinking here. Now Jesus is not saying that we are irredeemably wicked. Jesus is acknowledging the reality of our sinful condition. Our inherent, innate selfishness, self-centeredness, self-absorption. Notice that Jesus didn't say, if we then who are evil. Jesus Christ was like us because he was human, but he was different to us because he did not sin. And so the most holy, the most loving man to have ever walked the face of this earth looks us in the eye and he's honest with us about us. And this is what we really need. We don't need more positive thinking. We need honesty about our condition so that we can find healing for our condition. Hit the play button again. If you then, Jesus says, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Here's what Jesus is saying. If you, human parents, though you are sinful, selfish and evil, if even you know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in heaven, who is in no way sinful, evil or selfish, but totally good, totally loving, totally wise, then how much more will he give good gifts to his children? See, when you pray, You're not coming to a tyrant that you need to try and appease. You're not coming to a a school teacher that's going to grade you on your grammar. You're not coming to someone who you need to impress with your spiritual power and authority. You are coming as a needy child before a loving heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children. How simple. How compelling. But I know that maybe you're thinking, well, you make it sound easy from up there, Adam, but but if I'm honest, I find prayer difficult, hard. D.A. Carson is a theologian. He once said, if you want to embarrass the average Christian, just ask them about their prayer life. (laughs) C.S. Lewis once wrote in a letter to a friend, let's come clean. Prayer is difficult. We are reluctant to begin. We are delighted to finish. While we are at prayer, it will be felt in some degree to be a burden. Here's what he says. I haven't language weak enough to depict my spiritual life. Maybe you resonate with that. Maybe you find prayer difficult. Sometimes we worry that we won't pray in the right way. We won't use the right words or we won't use the right formula and so God won't even bother to listen to our prayers. But if anything, this passage is teaching us 
that God is not holding out on us until we use the right flowery words. God's heart is open and receptive towards us and he loves it when our hearts get open and receptive towards him. Sometimes my son Knox will come running up to me and he'll say something to me really eagerly and I have no idea what he's just said. It's gibberish. Now I tell you what I don't do in that moment. I don't say, what are you talking about kid? Get away from me. Go learn how to speak properly and come back to me when you've done that. (laughs) I kneel down to his level say, sorry buddy, I didn't quite catch that. What are you you saying? Now, sometimes I just have to nod and smile and go, awesome. And he runs away happy and that's all good. Now, of course, one day I hope that he'll learn to use full sentences. But I know that he's growing and he's learning and I love it when he comes running up to me to ask me for something, to show me something. I love it. Don't let fear of saying the wrong thing hold you back from prayer. Your heavenly Father loves to hear and to answer your prayers. In fact, the Bible says that even in those times when we don't know what to say, when we don't have the words, maybe life is too painful, too difficult, too confusing. In those times, the Bible says that the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf. Romans 8.26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What a beautiful picture of God helping us in our weakness. Not despising us for our weakness, helping us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The promise that Jesus makes for us in these verses and the parable that he tells us are to teach us that our Heavenly Father is eager to hear and to answer our prayers. But if we're honest, this passage also poses a problem for us. And the problem is this. On the surface, it sounds like Jesus is issuing us with a blank check. It sounds like Jesus is saying that we will get whatever we ask for. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But here's the truth. If this is what Jesus is really saying, then to put it bluntly, he is a liar. Because I'm certain that every single one of us in here this morning, we have asked God for something. Something that we really wanted or really needed. And he did not give it to us. Maybe we asked God to help us pass an exam and we failed. To give us a promotion and we did not get it. For a spouse and we're still single. For a baby and it has not been given. For someone we love to be healed and they were not healed. To make matters worse, we can look around at other people who ignore God completely. And they seem to be doing just fine without prayer. They even seem to be receiving blessings without asking for them. They have a beautiful home and a full bank account without prayer. They have a brood of children without prayer. They're physically healthy without prayer. And it can all lead us to think, maybe just to ourselves, maybe we wouldn't say this out loud, but maybe we think to ourselves, well, what good is prayer really? Does prayer really make a a difference? 
Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've wondered that at some point in your life. Well, the key to resolving this dilemma is in verse 11. It's in that little phrase at the end there where Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus promises not just that God will give us any old thing, but good gifts. So this is the key question. What are the good gifts that God promises to give us? On the Gospel of Luke, which is another account of Jesus' life, ministry and teaching, he records this same teaching by Jesus, but he gives us a little bit of extra detail. Here's what we read in Luke 11, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The good gifts that God promises to give us are not material blessings. They're not health, wealth and comfort. It's not a positive test result or a promotion at work or a bigger home. The good gifts are spiritual blessings. To know God. To be adopted into his family. To be forgiven of your sin. To become holy. To bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Spiritual blessings. I like the way John Stott puts it in his commentary. He says, It is absurd to suppose that the promise, Ask and it shall be given you, is an absolute pledge with no strings attached. That knock and it will be opened to you is an open sesame to every closed door without exception. And that by the waving of a prayer wand, any wish will be granted and every dream will come true. The idea is ridiculous. It would turn prayer into magic. The person who prays into a magician like Aladdin and God into our servant who appears instantly to do our bidding like Aladdin's genie every time we rub our little prayer lamp. God is not a genie who does our bidding, who gives us our designer lives. God is a good father who gives us what is best for us. And the promise of this passage is not that God will give you whatever you ask for. The promise of this passage is that God will give you what is ultimately good for you. He will give you, stunningly, more of himself. This is the promise. And this is the confidence that that we can... This is what gives us confidence to pray. Because God is good... He will only give good gifts to his children. And because God is wise, he alone knows which gifts are good and which are not. And this is a biblical attitude towards prayer. And this is a proper understanding of Jesus' promise here in Matthew 7. And this leads us to our fourth and final point, which is the point of the entire passage. This is why these verses are in the Bible. It's because Jesus wants us to pray. We're not to just look at these verses and say, well, that's lovely. God hears our prayers. We are told this so that we might pray. Jesus wants us to pray and to pray persistently. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Suppose an unbiased observer hung out with you for a month. They walked around with you, observed what you did, At the end of that month, would they walk away thinking, man, that person loves to pray? I mean, prayer is just a a priority in their schedule. Would they think that? What about us as a church? 
Would someone observe us for a month and then look at us and say, well, man, those people at BPCC, they're a messy bunch, but they love to pray. You can't stop them from praying. This passage is in the Bible because Jesus wants us to pray and to pray persistently. It's also in the Bible to help us to know what to pray for. We naturally pray, don't we? And we naturally pray persistently when our life gets shaken up. When our, things in our life get turned upside down. When someone we love is sick, when we find ourselves in financial trouble or our kids are in trouble, we pray with gusto and energy. And that's not wrong. God wants us to pray for all things. But here's the question that this passage forces us to ask. Are we also praying for the best things? Are we persisting in prayer for spiritual growth for ourselves and others? Do we ask, seek and knock for a a pure mind, for help to forgive, for the removal of an angry or critical spirit? D.A. Carson, the theologian, he says, the kingdom of heaven requires poverty of spirit, purity of heart, truth, compassion, a non-retaliatory spirit, a life of integrity, and we lack all of these things. Then let us ask for them. Are you as holy, as meek, as truthful, as loving, as pure, as obedient to God as you would like to be? Then ask him for grace that these virtues may multiply in your life. It's striking to me that the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he wrote all these letters to different churches, he never once prayed for a change in the circumstances of these churches. And these churches were going through something far more difficult than even we are today. I mean, they were facing persecution, death from disease, oppression from powerful forces, the Roman Empire. Their existence was far less secure than ours is today. Yet in his prayers, Paul does not offer one single petition for a better emperor, for protection from armies, for physical health. It's not to say he didn't pray for those things. It's just to say that they were not at the top of his prayer list. For Paul, physical comfort and material blessings were not the most important thing that God could give to his people. The most important thing that God could give to his people was more of himself. It was for his people to know him better and to make him known in the world. Let's pray about our cares and concerns. God wants us to pray about it all. But our Father in Heaven is even more willing to give us the best gift, the Holy Spirit. And how can we possibly begin to change? How can our world possibly begin to change apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? As one pastor puts it, the best prayer to God is prayer for God. The best prayer to God is prayer for God. We can and we must pray for more of God in our lives. For more of God in our families, in our neighbourhoods, in our city, in our nation. This is why next week we're launching into a a new six-week sermon series that we've called Awake and Alive, Enjoying the Presence of God. The blurb for this series says, A new year always brings with it a sense of expectation and excitement. We resolve to do things differently with our health, with our finances, our families, our friendships and more. But nothing, 
could be more important for us in 2019 than resolving to deepen our relationship with God. Join us for a series of sermons from the Psalms as we explore what it means to enjoy and experience the presence of God in our lives and in our church. Now, if you don't need more of God, if if you don't need a deeper relationship with God, then you can have the next six weeks off. The rest of us, those who do need more of God, those who do need a deeper relationship with God, then I hope that you'll join us. I hope that you'll come as we learn what it means to know God and to experience God deeply. Because the truth is that we're all seekers. And the answer to our search is God himself. The good news God gives himself to us freely. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth on a rescue mission to seek and save lost sinners so that lost sinners could come to a loving God. And Jesus Christ says to us this morning, makes us this promise that if you ask for more of him, he will freely give. If you seek him, you will find him. If you knock on his door, He will open. What are we waiting for? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for more of you in our lives, in our church, in our neighbourhood, in our city, in our nation. Because you are our only hope. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand as we hear these words from Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Amen.